Good morning, Freshwater. Uh, like I said, uh, Jake said I'm Clint Adams, one of the elders here, and uh, glad to bring the, the second week of Jesus Next Door, that series today, and um, excited for uh, what uh, God hopefully has to say through me to you. So I want to start this morning with some, some personal stories, some times when, when God really used me, sometimes in spite of me, like limitations and everything, like God used me to as a part of someone's God story where they, they got saved. They went from darkness to light and, and, and went on with Jesus. So about eight or nine years ago, um, we, we had some neighbors that had moved in next door to us, um, young couple, and gotten to know them and their names and their, they had a little boy. And, um, but there was, you know, one time, my wife, Kristen, and I were outside and, and the wife who lived next door was obviously upset. Um, outside just sort of like playing with her boy. And we, we went up and talked to her and asked how she was doing. And she went on to share that she felt like her marriage was falling apart. Um, like every, everything was just sort of falling apart. And, and in that moment, we were able to just be loving to her and, and comforting. We started to open the door to talking about like, does, does God have a part in, in like this story? Um, not long after that, my wife shared the gospel, just the, the, the basic good news of Jesus with, with that, uh, the, the lady next door, and she got saved. And her husband, who had been saved past, but like not really walking with God, like came back to Christ, reconnected, and we started to see a, a marriage heal, and I ultimately had like the really cool privilege of baptizing them here. Um, so that was, that was about eight or nine years ago. About three years ago, there was a young man who came to, that some guys had brought to youth group, and he was he was sort of the guys that were my age, the age of guys I was working with, started bringing him and you know, got to, to eat ice cream with this guy and go on trips with him and just talk. And uh, he really didn't know anything about God, was sort of like an agnostic kind of thing. And, um, but it was after a few years, at least a couple of years he'd been in ministry. Uh, it was a night at uh, Reality 139, the name of our youth night here at Freshwater. I wasn't there because my dad had passed away the week before. Um, so I wasn't there that night, just sort of mourning and preparing for the funeral service that was going to be in a couple days. And I got a text that night about when youth night typically ends here from this kid that said, the kid with, that I just talked about, like saying, I don't know exactly how to say this, but I want to start following Jesus with my life. And I tell you that the tears in my eyes that were like, just sort of like the heaviness of my dad and, and missing him and what was coming out the way, they were, it was like instant tears of joy. I'll never forget that moment. It was about a year ago that a, a young guy who was really important to me started, you know, coming to youth group, and he had some friends here, and you know, heard the gospel from several people. Um, just saw how things went here, and uh, last September at Beulah Beach, he rang the bell to signify that he'd said yes to Jesus. So amazing stories uh, that have happened in my life, and I want to bring up uh, Mason. Um, Mason Burnett from, you might remember like last week with the baptisms and the videos, there was this, uh, there was this cousin that invited Liam. Uh, it's Mason. So I just wanted to, to, him to share a little bit of that story from sort of his perspective. So Mason, I guess the, the main question is like, as you saw that video and, and those baptisms last week, like what were you thinking and what were you feeling? Yeah, of course. So 
Uh, first, I was feeling overwhelmed with joy, um, just the beauty and how it all kind of came to happen and came to fruition. Um, I'm not much of an emotional guy, but tears were definitely flowing. The floodgates were opened, um, and I didn't have any tissues, so they were going everywhere. Um, but uh, and then, um, feeling-wise, I was it was just it was just amazing. It just felt like um, the felt the Holy Spirit was in the presence, and it was just awesome. So yeah. And then thinking-wise, I was just cool to think back to kind of how it all started and then what it turned into. I had no clue that it was going to turn into what it did. Mm. Um, and then towards the end of the baptism, I was kind of thinking, you know, Tim's a little close to the edge. And I was like, oh, no. And then he goes down, you hear this big gong sound. It's like ringing in the church, and there's a moment of silence. I was like, oh, my gosh, Bruce just killed Timmy. <laughs> and good thing, I think he just knocked some sense into him. I think he's good. But, but yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking towards the end. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I guess, how would you summarize, how would you define, like, your role in that process? Like, how would, how would you describe it? Yeah, so I think there's a couple parts. So it's kind of a two-part role, I would say. So um, the first part is always just building relationships with people. Not, not in the intention of, I'm building this relationship with you just to come to God and to mm-hmm. come to Christ. But to build that genuine relationship with somebody. Not saying that, like, you need to come follow Jesus, but build it because you like that person. You want to invest mm-hmm. in that person. So... Um, That first part would just be building that relationship and then also extending that invite. And then I think the second part for me, I can kind of compare it to more of like a tour guide. So like how you like show people like great buildings and great stuff and Mm -hmm. and like extravagant sites. So for me, it was more of showing um, Liam and Brandon and Timmy is like, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. And then you can take that and form that with however you want to perceive it, however it wants to go. Because it's not our job to force something on somebody. Right? We get to show, we get to be the messenger, we get to show the glory in God and his unconditional love. So that would be kind of my role in the, in the whole thing. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Mason, thanks so much for coming Thank up you. and for sharing that. Appreciate it. Yeah, so, so here's the deal. Uh, if, if those things that happened in my life that I got to be even a small part of are one of the greatest joys of my life, and, you know, and Mason just said about the joy and the fulfillments and you know, the, the tears of joy that he had last week. Like, if that's one of the greatest things in life, then why isn't it happening more in my life? You know, great stories, but man, like eight years ago, three years ago, one year ago, there's a lot of gaps in there. And, and I've been go, preparing this message here and reading through Jesus Next Door and wondering, like, is there more for me than that? Does God want more obedience in this area of evangelism than I've shown. Um, and maybe as you've gone through the, through the book and, and heard last week and this week, like maybe you can relate to that. Like there's sort of like this tension or discomfort, like, like man, that, that question in the book or what Norm said last week, that, that was a tension moment for me where I, I feel like there's more. Not in like a conviction, you're a, you're a terrible Christian kind of way, but God has more. And that's what I've been wrestling with like in sort of not feeling like totally fit to be up here because I, I struggle with this issue of evangelism. Maybe you can relate to that. And I think a part of my struggle was, was defined in a book I got to read a little bit of. It's called How to Revive Evangelism by Craig Springer. And the idea that he puts out there is that our, our challenge today is that we need to be more into conversation than proclamation, more into relationship than telling. And I think that's true um, and I guess that, that's a struggle for me because I'm sort of up here. I, not, maybe not quite this big of a crowd, but I love to teach. I love to proclaim God's word and study it and, 
and see what it says. And so like I have this comfort zone that is me in a church context teaching and telling. But if we're living in a, in a, in a more and more post-Christian culture, the challenge is that people aren't asking the questions that we're typically answering here on a Sunday. Um, people are no longer, are not as frequently asking, I should say, that like, who is God? What is he like and how can I know him? They're not necessarily asking, how can I be forgiven? Or even like, um, you know, what happens to me when I die? Like, is there an eternity? Is there heaven? Is there hell? Like, in a post-Christian culture, those questions aren't the, like the, the probing or the driving questions that society is going after. Now, this post-Christian culture is asking things like, um, what is my purpose? And how can I be so lonely when I'm so technologically connected? And what is the deal with all this brokenness and injustice in the world, and can I actually do something about that? Just me. They're asking those kind of questions. And I think that the cool thing is that the answer to those questions are the same. How can I get to heaven? How can I know God? Who is God? You know, how, how can I be forgiven? Like, it's Jesus. How can, I, how can I address injustice and brokenness? And how can I finally find connection and belonging? And, and what is my purpose for this life? Like, the answer is the same. It's Jesus. Different questions, same answers. But it's going to take relationship and conversation to bridge that gap. So we know that when we talk about relationships, they're hard and messy and jagged, right? I mean, there's, there's uncertainty relationships. Like relationships don't, like it's not gonna click right into that half hour schedule that I have open on my calendar. And like it said in day 12 of Jesus Next Door, like it, it might cause us to have to go the extra mile sometimes for that relationship. And in my life, in my structured, organized life, Sometimes relationship doesn't fit very well. But this relationship, it, it wasn't the idea of that Craig Springer book or some new modern Christian fad. It's like, it's the biblical model. That's what I've seen as I've studied this, this, these past few weeks is like, it's God's heart. It's God's nature as a relational God for us to do evangelism in relationship. So we're gonna dig into some points from Jesus Next Door and... Um, couple passages of scriptures to see how that might play out in our lives. I'm really hoping it's a, a good encouragement and maybe a little challenge to you as well. I do want to start with the Great Commission. It's been mentioned a couple times this morning. Norm taught on it last week. But I think it's important to remember that we, we've got the middle part down, frat, down, down, down cold of like, go therefore and teach the, you know, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, right? But sometimes we miss the opening and closing to that message from Jesus. He starts with, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Therefore, in light of my authority, under my authority, even with my authority, go. I think sometimes we feel like, oh, it's me, I've got to go. I better start evangelizing. Go, 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 go. But Jesus said, like, it starts with the authority that is vested in me, and I send you in that authority. Amen. We can forget the power of Christ, the authority of Christ in this evangelism 
task that he's given us. And I think we can also forget the end part of like, and yeah, by the way, I am with you always to the very end of the age. God has given us his authority, his power, and his presence to go. I think sometimes I struggle evangelism because I just think I, I gotta go. It's go in his presence and in his power. And I think a part of that, as God sends us, as he tells us to go, we go with what he's given us. And I loved it, days 10 and 13 of Jesus Next Door, where it talks about being a peaceful presence and embracing grace. I want to dig into those two things. The peace of God, John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. As Christ followers, we have a distinctive kind of peace that's, that's tethered, anchored in relationship to God. It's a right relationship with him. It says, it says at the start of Romans chapter five that, you know, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The world tends to give a peace that is defined by the absence of conflict or the presence of happiness, and it, peace comes and goes. Through Christ, he's left us with a peace that's unlike what the world has to offer. And he's given us grace. I'll jump over to Ephesians chapter one. I'll start right at the end of verse four and then read a few verses from there. It says, in love... He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Grace, I think the simplest definition I was ever taught is it's getting something good that you could have never deserved to get. You never could have earned it. And that's the kind of grace that God has given us. It was accomplished, like it says here, in the redemption, the, the payment of Jesus' blood on the cross opened up God's grace to, to bring forgiveness and healing and wholeness for everything that's happened in our life. All the hurts, all the pains, all the sins, all of it, God has lavished grace. Isn't that great? Like, he's lavished it upon us. It's not just like just enough grace. Like it's, I, I envision this overflowing kind of grace that out of his riches of grace, he's lavished us with. So we have this grace and peace to give out. And maybe that's another way to think about evangelism is it's, it's the natural overflow of what God is pouring into us. So here's the deal. I can't share what I don't have. So God has given us his grace and peace, but if I'm not experiencing those in a real, real way in my life, I don't have that much to share. I think a lot of evangelism is starting to claim and accept and to let it work through our lives what God has given us. He's given us his grace and peace. And when we have that, we have something that the world wants. From my angle, at least, the world is pretty low on grace and peace right now pretty low. We have something to give. I, I love how it said at the end of the, near the end of the, the day 10 talk on peace in the Jesus Next Door, he, the author said, I wonder how God might be positioning you as a person of peace in the midst of someone's raging storm. A different kind of peace 
than the world has to offer. So I want to hone in this, on this idea of grace in particular and see if we can get some points on relational evangelism and how that might actually work in our life. And to do that, I want to go to Colossians chapter 4. That'll be sort of our, our key passage to, to sit in for a little bit. I think it's a, an outline of how relational evangelism could work. So let me read that, and then we'll delve in. Colossians 4.2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So it starts with prayer. And that, that picks up on what Norm shared last week as he was talking about it starts with prayer. When you think of your three, it starts with prayer. Specifically here, Paul is praying for three things. Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. We have to start there. And there's this reality, you could, you could do some study of Ephesians 2 and some other passages like that, that there's this reality that, that a person who is outside of Christ, who hasn't been transformed by Christ, they are spiritually a dead person. Not necessarily a bad person or a mean person, like they could like look sort of nice and, and be sharing and giving and maybe even happy with where their life is at, but from a spiritual, eternal perspective, they are dead people. So naturally, the question comes like, like, what input will a dead person respond to? Well, none, unless God opens the door. Unless God somehow, I don't know how he does it, but like he, he allows this dead person to actually perceive something different than he's ever perceived before, to perceive like a new way of life and a new way of thinking about life. Only a, a dead person can only do that, as it says in John chapter 6, if the Father has enabled him. So we have to pray. We are relying on God to open the door. Only he can do that. Then we proclaim the mystery of Christ. That's an interesting phrase for Paul, for Paul to call the, the gospel of Christ, the message of Christ, a mystery. I, I think in that time when he was talking about the mystery of Christ back in like 60 or 70 AD, the, the message was mysterious in that it had been sort of like there were these blurry, incomplete images of the Messiah sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament, even like way back to the book of Genesis, you've got like this, you know, this person who's gonna like, you know, you'll crush his head, he'll strike your heel, like, and into Isaiah and Micah and all these old, so we, we knew that this Messiah was coming, we, we knew he was gonna redeem, but, but how and when and exactly how that was all gonna work out was a mystery, in fact, it's, it's amazing. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that even the angels long to look into the details of the Messiah. Now, that's not mysterious to us. We sit here on the other side of history. We know that, that Jesus came as a baby and lived a perfect life and showed us how to live and showed us how to, to share truth. And then he ultimately died on the cross as a payment for our sins so that we could have rightness with God, peace with God, and experiences grace. Like, we get all that now, but to those readers back then, it was a mysterious thing. 
But isn't it still mysterious today? If we could think of a, someone outside of Christ and their perspective, so like, hold on, let me get this straight. You're telling me that a person that I'll never see did something over the space of about three days 2,000 years ago, and everything hinges on that? Like my purpose in life and, and injustice and, and what is life and death, like it's all because of that? It's a mystery to them. It's a mystery that we have to proclaim. So Paul prays, the third thing is that pray that I may declare it clearly. And along these lines, I, you know, some of you like Star Wars purists might actually consider this a Star Wars clip, but there's a little flashback of a movie that you would consider a Star Wars clip. But uh, I think it sort of gives us a little picture of what this mystery and explaining it might look like. I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field controls my destiny. Crazy thing is, it's true. All of it, the force, the Jedi, it's all true. I feel like we, we might be a little bit like Han in this post-Christian culture saying, the crazy thing is, it's true. Th those three days when Jesus, and, and you, can, you can look back in history, and we, we have history to rely on that, that supplements our faith, it says like, yes, he did die with a purpose, and then he, he rose to, to prove that he defeated death, and everything in life comes down to what do you do with that? The crazy thing is it's true. Open the door for us, God, that we may proclaim the mystery, and then it says, like I said, to declare it clearly. Paul, Paul asked, pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So here comes a point of personal accountability, you can ask yourself this, am I ready with the gospel? Like, probably won't happen, but what if some, someone like ran up to you today like as you were walking the dog or at the store, maybe they knocked on your front door and said, I only have five minutes. I got five minutes, but can you please, please tell me who Jesus is and how I can know him and what he's doing in your life? What you got? What do you got in those five minutes? I'm asking myself that too. Paul says that he ought to make it clear. He ought to make it clear. I think we ought to be ready to present this mystery clearly. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, what is my, what's, what's my story? And how can I give the, the simple but all-powerful truth of the gospel to show how that worked in my life? We need to be ready with the gospel to, to declare it clearly. You know, we've got the armor of God passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where we talk about the, the, the breastplate of, you know, the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit and the, the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness. But I think we forget a long time, the boots. Ephesians 16, 6.15, put on your shoes or your boots, which is the readiness from the gospel of peace. Gotta get our boots on. Gotta be ready. 
This prayer is laden with expectation. Do you see that? Like, it's almost like Paul's giving like this three-stage prayer where he's assuming that each prayer gets answered. Because first of all, God has to open the door, right? So pray that God may open the door. If God doesn't open the door, there's no need to like have a request about declaring it clearly, this mystery of Christ. But Paul, Paul's almost like praying in faith, like, I want you to pray for, the, for God to open the door. And since God is a good and gracious God, he's gonna open the door. So once God answers that prayer, let's declare the mystery of Christ that's mysterious to, the, to a world that doesn't know him, but is the truth. And once we get to proclaim that message, pray that I can declare it clearly. This, this prayer has expectation to it that God's gonna work to open door. He's gonna enable us to proclaim and to proclaim it clearly. Looking at verses five and six here in Colossians chapter four, we've got these words, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here's relationship evangelism. It's got this intentionality to it making the best use of the time. It's got this purpose, purposefulness to it. Um, it's got actions and words, you see that? There's, there's this walking and wisdom with outsiders, but there's also a speech that is gracious. And there's that word grace, gracious, like I, I love how the, the, old, the old NIV says, let your, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. That calls me up short at times, that, that it is what I type and what I say truly grace-filled. Does it have the humility and generosity and kindness and openness that blesses people, that gives people what they don't deserve and how I talk to them and how I, how I might type with them or type at them, I guess. Let your conversation be always full of grace there's this seasoned with salt aspect that makes you think of your favorite steak rub and like what that does to that steak, it, it, it brings some, some pop. <laughs> There's like, you know, as Christians, God, God has called us into relationships where we can be intriguing, curiosity stimulating, um, making people think of like, what is this grace and peace that this person has? And it's nothing we have in ourselves. Again, it's what God has given us. I can't avoid from this passage, I've read it a bunch of times, but it wasn't until I studied it that that, that that last part there, that you may know how to answer each person, just sort of like hit me like, wait a minute. So I don't have to like, doesn't say that you may know how to preach at each person or even tell each person. How can I answer each person. So the assumption here is that someone asked us something. Someone is having a conversation with us where there's give and take. And maybe it's, maybe it's a challenging question, but they want to hear from us. They want an answer that can be grace-filled. There's that relational, conversational part of evangelism right there. It's, and it assumes, this passage assumes too, in case you, you might have missed it. I, I know my study notes sort of pointed out to me too, like there's an assumption here. A lot of times in Bible passages, there's a lot that's said, but there's assumptions that we need to pay attention to too. So Paul doesn't say like, hey, 
you believers who have been lavished with God's grace and filled with his peace, you should really get out there and, and be active in the community and visible and engage with people and in relationship with people who don't know Jesus. It doesn't say that. It assumes it. It assumes that it's happening. So since it's happening, since that's sort of like the, the baseline, then you've got a platform to be gracious in your speech and walk in wisdom and be intentional with the, the limited time that you have that maybe you'll be able to, to give an answer that declares clearly the truth of Christ. And that assumption is a shot across the bow of my life, if I'm going to be honest with you. It's a shot across the bow of a life that can be pretty Christian bubbled, doing good things, but like, am I actually intentionally involved with non-believers? And is that part of the reason why my really cool God stories are pretty well spaced out? That assumption really struck me. Notice, too, that it happens in community. Go back to that prayer at the start of Colossians 4, too. Pray for us. That wasn't an accident that Paul said, pray for us, that God may open a door for our message. The idea of this relationship evangelism is that it's, it's done in community. Now, yes, you know, Paul does turn it personally, says, like, pray that I may declare it clearly. Like, if, if I'm the one that God's going to use to, like, speak that final word that someone would hear to believe in Jesus, then I need to be personally ready for that with God's help. But there's this us aspect to it. So, so go back to last week with the evangelism story of, of Mason talking to Liam, his cousin, who talked to Brandon, who talked to Tim, and they all three got saved. And, and I actually drew this out in my notes. It's really sloppy, so I didn't like put it up on the PowerPoint or anything like that. But like, I actually drew this line from Mason, line, Liam, line, Brandon, line, Tim. And that's how it worked, right? But, but that's not how it worked. It's not how it worked. There was this, um, there was this community that enveloped these guys. You had like the truck driver dude who, who spoke a word from God right to someone he never knew. And you had this cornbread. You know, seriously. And you had this, this, this gentle uh, servant, uh, this gentle servant heart that was leading a discussion group that allowed people to feel included and to belong. And then maybe start to feel a connection that life wasn't offering them outside of it. And you had the, the smiling face at the front door and, and the person who you know, happily brought a meal in and, and served it out to, to the group that was there. Like it was a community thing. It wasn't that straight line. The stories that I shared were not just me. I was some small part of that to see God work. It happens in community. You might have heard that there was a song from fairly long ago I forget who sang it. It's probably like 20 years old or more called Each One Reach One. And I think that's a lot of how we have typically thought about evangelism. And maybe you even like sort of you've caught some of that from like you've got your three. You know, if each one of us go and reach someone else and they believe in Jesus and that person will go and reach someone else who believe in Jesus and spiritual multiplication will happen. And it makes sense and I think there's some truth to that. But you gotta be careful to lose sight of the fact that it's going to happen most of the time in community. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. 
Um, Philippians 1.27 says this way. It says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether, whether I come and see you or an absent, I may know that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you see the oneness, the side-by-sideness of this message for the faith of the gospel? It's a community thing. So when you think about your three, like, yes, God has laid those three people on your hearts, it's your responsibility to pray for them and to relate to them, but don't think that it's your job to save your three. It's your job to love your three, and, and we could be confident together, like, in community, God's gonna bring that together and make it happen. It's in community. Um, so I think there's this strategic shift that, that's happening here to go from each one reach one to um, how about together, let's go reach some. Let's do it together. Let's share the message together. So if I could make some closing points, I, I have a few questions. I, I didn't get them onto slides in time, so I'll just sort of pause with each one. Just some sort of am I questions where you can ask yourself, am I? Um, it might be that one of these, maybe two, is, is one that you need to process a little bit more in the coming weeks. Am I trusting in God's authority and presence for the mission? Am I trusting in God's authority and presence for the mission? Second one, am I experiencing God's grace and peace in a way that makes it hard not to share it? Am I ready with the gospel? Am I in a relationship, am I in relationship with people who are currently outside of Christ? Might be those questions can, you know, as you continue through the next couple weeks of the series, as you read more of Jesus Next Door, those questions might resonate. And, and it could be a start of a conversation where you can talk about with God about like what needs to shift in my life to have more of this mission in it. I think there's great hope for us. I, I, that's the word I want to encourage. Like, there's great hope for this message. Like, post-Christian post culture, fine. I think we have something. Christ in us, we have something to give that the world wants. Even if they're not saying it, or if they even know what this mystery is all about, we have something they want in Christ. And... You know, there was something that was said at the end of the video, but great job in that video last week for the folks that did that and put that together with, with Liam and Tim and, and Brandon. But there was something that Tim said right near the end of that video that struck me in the moment. I actually like wrote it down on my notes and underlined it twice and showed it to my wife, Kristen, who was sitting beside me and said, like, that, that's coming back. And I, I wish I was, you know, Tim was here this morning so I could thank him because really like, like what he said has really haunted me the whole week in a good way. He said something like this. I'll get the words not exactly right, but he said like, he said, and I'm the last one to get saved. Then he paused for a second. He had like this little mysterious, mischievous glint in his eye, and he said two simple words were the words that floored me. Do you remember what they were? I'm the last one to get saved so far. So far, that's the kind of expectation that a 
a, a baby believer has that this old believer doesn't have sometimes. Like, I want that kind of expectation that, like, you know, God has poured his grace out on me. He's lavished it upon me, and I don't think he's done with me. Like, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know who it is or exactly when, but, like, if you want me to be a part of that, God, I am in. I am in for the so far to see what you do next. I think that's the kind of expectation that Tim shared with that so far phrase that I want to have more of. And I call us to that as a church. It's the way that Paul prayed. You know, he asked us to pray for him with it, with it, for, for those people back there in Colossians, expectation. I call us to raise our expectation level. You know, and honestly, folks, I've come to a crossroads like this many times in my life where it's like I, I know through what I'm hearing and the time I'm spending with God and what I'm seeing, I know that he has more for me. I know it. I know he has more of himself to pour into my life. And I know he has more that I, that I can be used in this mission to relate, to converse, to interact, to rub off on people who don't know Jesus so they can know him too. There's more. And I guess you know, as, a, as a final limitation, I wonder if, if you're there too where you, you, you know there's more. You've been reading this book, you've heard these messages, and I think there's more for me. There's more for this church. There's more for us to do. Let's go together and reach some. So the invitation is pretty simple. It's, is if, if that's you, then I want to invite you to come up and just stand, and we're going to do a little picture of Philippians 1.27. As one man in one spirit, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel. If you feel like God is calling you to more and he has more for you, that's a simple invitation to come forward. I'm sort of cheating because I'm already up here, but I'm just gonna come down here and stand. And if that's you, I invite you to come forward and we'll stand side by side for the faith of the gospel.